Welcome back to the Defense Tech Podcast, a series where I, Civilian Sydney, sit down with experts in defense tech, contracting, and beyond to learn all of the ins and outs of the industry and share those insights with you. This week, we're continuing on in our series, Behind the Scenes of Innovation, with a spotlight into microelectronics commons. I'll be interviewing someone who has great insight into the big picture problems that are currently facing U.S. national security. As someone who is brand new to the defense tech space, I'm excited to talk to this guest, who is very active in the political conversations surrounding the issues that Commons hopes to tackle. This person is Mike Dodd. He's the VP of Strategic Partnerships here at NSTXL. It's hard to put into words everything that Mike does, as he has had an impressive career, including 11 years of service for the U.S. Marine Corps, followed by close to 14 years of advising business portfolio companies, and 10 years of significant work on the civilian side of the defense industry, directing and advising global security and defense for various corporations. I hope you enjoy this episode with Mike Dodd. Well, welcome to the podcast, Mike. I'm honored to have you here. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to have a little conversation. And uh, how, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's going to be great. I know that you are a former Marine officer with over 11 years of service under your belt. Do you care to just share a little bit about that experience and then how you ended up working in government contracting? I, as as you know, cliche-ish as it may sound, <laughs> just joining the Marine Corps was really my calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so joined out of high school and did a four-year enlistment uh, and then uh, got pursued a commissioning path so I could get mm-hmm. uh, my commission and, mm-hmm. and go to college. Um, so my intent was to stay in the Marine Corps for, you know, 20, 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a great experience and I was an infantry officer and a, and a force reconnaissance uh, operations officer. So I got to, uh, you know, be the, the proverbial tip of the spear of mm-hmm. uh, the Marine Corps kind of uh, mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and had a wonderful time. Uh, and unfortunately, I ended up getting medically retired after 11 mm. years. Uh, okay. the however come is, you know, I still got all my fingers and toes and <laughs> I might not jump as high or run as fast, but uh, sure. otherwise in, in decent shape. Uh, and then it just kind of timing wise, when I left the Marine Corps, uh, was right about the time the Iraq war was kind of escalating. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as far as getting into defense contracting, uh, I actually got a call from one of my former bosses in the Marine Corps who was working for a large defense prime contractor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of just, it was a natural kind of segue uh, career-wise, you know, into supporting the department, but and, and still continue to serve, but, you know, out of uniform uh, and mm-hmm. not very holistically. It was an opportunity to bring some new technologies, you know, and get those out into the hands of the warfighter. Oh, yeah. And I'm just curious, have you had any experiences in the Marines that you like that stick with you that you really have learned from just in general? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, tons and tons. One, and yeah. first and foremost, is is the true kind of camaraderie and esprit de corps yeah. that you experience, mm-hmm. you know, in the Marine Corps and, and the true, uh, you know, kind of brotherhood uh, with mm-hmm. those you serve. Um, and then I think just because I joined, you know, as, as a young man, it, it was a very molding experience mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, that all rolls into, you know, who you are, I think, is a big lump of, you know, big lump of clay. But uh, <laughs> yeah. my Marine Corps experience certainly refined me uh and pointed me in those pathways but taking into those i think uh 
you know, leadership traits that, that the Marine Corps espouses, uh, and then bringing that kind of to, to bear, you know, in my professional career. Yeah, yeah. And that's like a perfect transition. I'm wondering how you would say your Marine background kind of benefits you now that you're on the civilian side of things, like in your role. Yeah, sure. Well, certainly in a number of ways. You know, first and foremost, uh, I think when we go meet with mission partners, and when I say mission partners, that's like Department of Defense, uh, mm-hmm. you know, customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you certainly go in, you know, the in the door in the meeting. Uh, they understanding your background know that I get it right. I I've been in mm-hmm. those seats. Yeah. I've been you know a forward deployed Marine and and lots of bad places around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that very holistically, we're trying not just to to do business, but bring technologies to bear uh, against our adversaries, right? And I speak often on this, like, you know, we should never uh, uh, look for a, a fair fight, right? We're always looking yeah. for that, te- you know, technological advantage. So you get that, like going into any setting, uh, you, you 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 get that uh, kind of feeling from your, your department counterparts, because uh, right. they appreciate, you know, my background and experience. Yeah. And, uh, in the department and now just trying to you know help the mission profile of, of our of our part of our customer yeah i bet it develops a lot of trust or it just gives you a lot of trust from the very get-go knowing that you've both been in that experience that no one else could understand having not been through it yeah and um, then the, the, like the parallel to that is just understanding the the command structure right just yeah. the, the org chart of things understanding the command structure the the program managers and then all the customs and courtesies that go along with it the protocols uh working with the program office and then contractually the acquisition executives yeah. the, how do, the how do we do business part which is as equally important right they mm-hmm. they understand that i understand both federal acquisition regulations and non-far based acquisition mm-hmm. so they just the, the do business part is covered, which often can be as you know the single biggest barrier to entry for a, a right. small business or a non-traditional entity is you know a mission partner may get excited about a technology, uh, but if you don't know you know how to do business with the department, uh, you're not going to. Yeah, right. Sounds like the perfect foundation for a role yeah. like this. Um, before I get too ahead of myself, I do want to dive into something that I feel like is really important in conversation right now, just to kind of paint the big picture of the urgency of what we're talking about today, which is like the chips crisis and yeah. therefore like microelectronics commons project. Um, project. Yeah. Would you mind giving me a brief recap of like what we call the chips crisis is here in America, um, the impacts it has kind of our secu- on our security and like defense in America? Sure. And, and appreciate that because I think this is – Something that's very often overlooked uh, till I think very recently with Chips and Science and the Microelectronics Commons uh, program, where if you go back about 10 plus years, Naval Surface Warfare Center, Crane Division, the, the Navy base mm-hmm. in southern Indiana, uh, chartered a study in microelectronics, right, because that's one of their mission areas. Right. And uh, the, the results of that were as much as 20% of hardware here in the United States had counterfeit, malicious, or corrupt chips inside them. That's really? a staggering number. It's a staggering number. I have not heard that. <laughs> yes. Now, more often than not, it's, it was counterfeit uh, chips, 
uh, but malicious, uh, certainly were pervasive in a, in mm -hmm. a number of you know, hardware platforms. And that, that includes Department of Defense platforms as well, right? Because they're procuring uh, a lot of their hardware technologies and the manufacturers of those technologies are buying their chips mm -hmm. abroad. Right. right. So there, there was no trusted uh, kind of label that you could wrap around uh, a number of hardware platforms. So you, you, you take that, you know, that study, you fast forward, you know, several years uh, into, you know, Senator Young and, and being the co-sponsor of the uh, what was previously known as the Endless Frontier Act, now the, the Chips and Science Act, uh, which actually addressed that, uh, which mm -hmm. is we have to reshore uh, some of these critical technologies mm -hmm. so that our you know our hardware and our some of our mission platforms are actually trusted mm -hmm. yeah i didn't know that about the the 20 percent. that's a wild statistic and i'm guessing at the time there's nothing really we could do either because we didn't have manufacturing capabilities here or at least they were very low right Absolutely. So this whole like lab to fab concept is is not necessarily new uh, in its ideation, but certainly new in execution. Mm -hmm. But I mean, no insignificant lift to reshore uh, the manufacturing capability of of actual trusted uh, microelectronics and chips. Yeah. Yeah, so as I understand it, this is kind of the very problem that Microelectronics Commons was created to solve, right? Or at least the beginning of it. How exactly will a program like this even begin to solve an issue that exists, like you were saying, like kind of at a global scale? Or in other words, how is Microelectronics Commons going to remove the barriers to like market entry as we venture towards manufacturing in here in the U U.S.? Yeah, so it is taking that that critical uh, very first and massive step, which is reshoring the mm -hmm. the trusted microelectronics and chips mm -hmm. here to the United States. And and in this what we're calling this lab to fab uh, foundry, uh, and as importantly, is giving access to small businesses, set aside companies, and non traditional entities that have access to these trusted chips mm -hmm. uh, on, on a, almost a chips uh, as a service, uh, mm. you know, to try and oversimplify, you know, how it may work. Yeah. But if we're going to bring those technologists into the defense industrial base and, and have them service the unified combatant commands with the most cutting edge technologies uh, and systems, they have to have access to trusted chips that go mm -hmm. into the stuff, right? That they then uh, is procured by the department. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Super cool. Um, so, in terms of like the American warfighter, you know, the men and women who are actually out there defending our national security, how will this solution, the onshoring of microelectronics, benefit them? Well, I think most importantly, it's going to deliver uh, the newest and most innovative technologies the quickest that the Department mm -hmm. of Defense has ever seen, mm -hmm. right? And this model that, that of course, NSTXL is a big participant of, is in, in running uh, the Microelectronics Consortium uh, and the SMARTS uh, contract, other transaction authority, uh, allows for defense business to happen actually at the speed of business. So uh, you have emphasis on the ability to move technologies through quickly, mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to. And the, the the we don't want to mistake speed for uh, 
you know, a necessity at all given times, right? Because sometimes, you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast, right? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it needs to go at the speed of business uh, to impact the department's topics of interest and their needs. Right. Uh, so that's kind of thing one. Thing two uh, for the men and women in uniform is it's allowing them to see some of these technologies in these very early stages. So very limited uh, R&D that turns into prototyping, that turns into limited production mm. that that can, if the technology merits and has those kind of ROI impacts, uh, to go to full production uh, or a programmer record you know, at scale. So the technology can move as quickly as the department needs it to, and it can be the most compelling technologies that you know it's very competitive, uh, mm-hmm. obviously in a, in a great way. But as those uh, uh, technologies advance and the down selects happen, it can put it in our the hands of our warfighters as quickly and as timely as possible. And if you look at the, there's kind of a new mantra, if you will, you know, through the department, which is important. Uh, we had to look at te- new technologies with a lens that we must look to deter major conflict. Mm. And the way that we do that is maintain a technological advantage over our adversaries uh, and or if forced to fight, have the techno- uh, technological advantage to win. So that's the, the mm. drivers for and, and kind of the mission the mission set for uh, Microelectronics Commons and, and how important it is for our men and women in uniform. Yeah. Well, I heard you mention um, the use of the other transaction authority and how important that is for like efficiency in this. Um, so Microelectronics Commons was made possible through the utilization of an OTA. Um, in your opinion, how do you think the Department of Defense could best utilize an OTA to, to assist in defending our digital security over the next five years? No, and a great question. Of course, you see me smiling. So this is a <laughs> highly debated uh, yeah. question. That's why I asked it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But uh, I, I also think it's it's very important to recognize, you know, that the statute has been around for decades, 50 or 60 mm-hmm. years. It's okay. really only come in vogue the last five or six years mm-hmm. where different, uh, you know, mission partners like NSWC Crane mm-hmm. uh, decided that they needed to utilize that pathway to deliver results at the speed of business, right? So, you know, the, the, certainly the importance of it is it is existing statute and law. Uh, we're, we're not really creating uh, anything new statutorily. Like this is, this is an existent. We're just levering a tool that's already in our box. Mm-hmm. Um, so y- you do have a culture uh, shift, uh, you know, from, you know, Department of Defense looking, and again, five plus years ago, uh, using you know FAR-based contracting, uh, where you know they're procuring things, uh, and it was it's super difficult to to gain access to that marketplace. You know, if you're if you're a non-traditional uh, or small business, uh, so the o- the OTAs, you know, not just allow that they become these great enablers uh, and attractors uh, of bringing new technologies to bear, you know, in the defense industrial base. So you'll see this, you'll see kind of this culture shift, you'll see the, the utilization uh, by multiple more mission partners now uh, throughout the department. In, in a lot of instances, the department mission partners are calling on, you know, partners like Crane to say, hey, I'd like to use your OTA mm-hmm. uh, to deliver the results that, that my requirements uh, are looking for as well. And 
Can you just briefly explain like where NSTXL comes into that? Um, how are we, where do we fall in that process? So, you know, we become uh, certainly what I like to consider ourselves as, is very much the grease in the wheels of all of this, right? Mm. Because we become the great enablers of all of this process. So as the, as the, as the prime contractor on the smarts OTA, on behalf of NSWC Crane, yeah. uh, we become the enabler of requirements and bringing those technologies through. So and I'll give you a great example. We recently did a project for Special Operations Command and from uh, which, by the way, before they came to use the vehicle, uh, they were convinced they were well aware of all the uh, performers in that topic, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so they go, all right, we're gonna test drive this thing. So from from engaging with us in, in our process and the full suite of services that we bring uh, in, in flash to bang from release to proposal submission to awards to getting into a period of performance was under 90 days. Um, so staggering uh, mm -hmm. timeline that we yeah. brought to bear by just, again, our team and our processes and moving these things through. Yeah, incredible. Um, I have kind of a switch of topics here, but I'm curious. I know you have a close relationship with, as you mentioned, Senator Todd Young, who helped um, write the Ch the Chips and Science Act bill. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um, so I'm just, yeah, I'm curious how his involvement in this project speaks to like the scope of this issue. Well, I, I think first and foremost, Senator Young, and, and he's co-sponsored with Senator Schumer out of New York, mm -hmm. uh, and a. a obvious and fantastic uh, bipartisan representation of, you know, how things, you know, maybe should work uh, in in the Senate, right? Um, but I think it's a testament to Senator Young just actually being accessible and, and, and responsive to the needs of our national security. And, and certainly at the at the front end of this was the engagement with NSWC Crane mm -hmm. uh, and their messaging, you know, to the senator of the importance of having trusted uh, microelectronics and trusted chips, you know, supporting our de defense industrial base. Yeah, so he, he's just very engaged, you know, very supportive, uh, and obviously an advocate to uh, uh, reshoring and, and and doing it right. Yeah, very cool. Well, that's most of the questions I have. Is there anything that I missed about microelectronics comments or any of our other efforts that you, you'd just like to comment on? I would just say quickly, uh, and I know I, I, I briefly mentioned just how differently that we do it uh, in this mm -hmm. space. Yeah. And, and I would say, and this is, I think, part of the exciting uh, part of all of this, is when we execute against this and we're bringing the Unified Combatant Commands to peer into these projects and the, and the prototyping that's happening, and now giving them access to reach down and grab these technologies and pull them, you know, into the programs of record and delivering mm -hmm. innovation at scale. Uh, like that's that's our business. And uh, and you know, for my former Marine days, that's what kind of the feel good part of all this yeah. is knowing that we are actually delivering that for our warfighters who are forward deployed to the four corners of the earth uh, and defending our freedoms. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. That's what makes this job so special. I know in my short time here, I've already feel like motivated because I'm actually doing something that that helps, you know, so I'm and sure you feel that on a much bigger scale too. Very cool. Yep, absolutely. 
Great. Well, thank you so much for joining again. Um, it's been an awesome conversation. It'll be really helpful for a lot of people and um, hope you have a great holiday week. No, thank you, Sydney. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.